My name is Lau. I'm one of the pastors here. I just want to say welcome. Uh, so glad you're here. If you're a first time, yeah, I really encourage you to fill out a Connect card. Uh, Josh mentioned that a little bit earlier. Uh, you can fill that out and drop it off in the giving little, there's a giving kind of stand or a little box out in the atrium. You can drop it off in there or you can give it to me at the end of the service. Just love for you to kind of make your presence known. There's ways we can pray for you, uh, help you understand more about who we are as a church, and we'd like to help you in any way we can, all right? So, hey, if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's probably a black one kind of in that little stand right underneath the seat there. You can grab that. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can take that home as a gift from us. Uh, Pastor Scripture is also in your bulletin as well as on the screen. And so a couple things before we dive into our text. First of all, most of you should have got one of these in your bulletin. Uh, it's a little card that has Galatians 2 on it. And so one of the things I try to do uh, when we're working through a book, so we'll be working through the book of Galatians throughout the, uh, the fall here and all the way to the end of the year. And I always like to kind of give us some different passages that we can memorize together, uh, to meditate on, to kind of marinate in over the course of a couple months or a few weeks. And so, so yeah, my goal isn't that we just, um, I know I just said memorize, but my goal isn't just that we memorize it, but I really want us to have something as a body that we're thinking together on. And so the first one is in Galatians 2. And so we'll be, be kind of like having this one the month of September, kind of first of October. Then we'll have another one that'll be October to kind of like uh, middle of November. That's in Galatians chapter 5. And then during the Advent series, kind of in November through uh, December, we're going to go back and do a little section out of Galatians chapter 4. And so, uh, so if you didn't get one of these in your bulletin, there are plenty of them on the little welcome area. Just encourage you to grab them. Uh, it's just, um, I don't know. I feel like it's a way for us as a body to kind of unite together and having a common passage that we're kind of marinating on for a few weeks, all right? So, uh, so if you get freaked out about memorizing, don't hear that. Just hear like a few verses for you to think on and reflect on, all right? You with me? Cool. Some of you love to memorize. Awesome. But some of you are like, I don't want to memorize. There's no test. I promise, you know, no one's going to have you stand up and recite it. Uh, that would be a little nerve-wracking, all right? So, all right, cool. If you're able, I encourage you to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. So Galatians is kind of in the second half of the New Testament. Um, you know, the letters are written kind of to help us better understand the work that Jesus did for us. So kind of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, help us understand who Jesus is and what he did. And then the letters kind of fill in the gaps, so to speak. All right, it's kind of a, a real short synopsis of what the letters do for us. And Galatians is one of those. Uh, so it's a great little book. So here we go, verses 1 through 10. So Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, and now I say again, if anyone, 
is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Yeah, once again, Father, we are, we are thankful uh, for your word and what it does in our lives, Lord. We're thankful that we're not left in the dark. We're thankful that you've shown your light here. And every time we read the word, God, it is your words. We are hearing from God. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would submit to what is being said here this morning and that, God, you would help us to continue to understand and be doers of the word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So yeah, a kind of way of us theming this passage or this book is just kind of talking about the idea of freedom and what does it truly mean to be free. Galatians is a book about freedom. I'll say this a little bit later in my sermon, uh, but the word free or freedom is used more in this short little letter than any other letter that Paul wrote. And so Usually, it doesn't take a a rocket science to figure this out, but the frequency of a word kind of speaks to the theme of the book. Amen? So there you go. Uh, That's kind of how you figure out, what is the theme of a book? Well, it's fine words that are repeated over and over, and freedom and free is a word that's repeated over in this book. And here's what I, I don't know, maybe I'm just speaking for myself and projecting on you, but I do think it's kind of common. I think we as Christians, when we say things like that, I'm set free in Christ, I don't know if we truly know what that means. I think we know kind of lingo and language without really understanding what that truly means. Specifically, uh, what it means in the in-between, all right? And I said this a couple weeks ago, the in-between is that we live in between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. In between Jesus inaugurating his kingdom, it's here, but it's not fully here. We're not living in the full benefits of Jesus' reign, all right? You with me? That's coming, right? That's what we long for, that's what we pray for, that's what we hope for. So what does it mean for me and you as followers of Christ to live in freedom in this in-between? I'm not answering that fully today, but that's what this book is about, and that's what I want to dive into over the course of the next several weeks. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, and I'm so thankful that you've come here today. Sometimes when you think about Christianity, the last word you think about is freedom, right? Like, that's the last thing you think. When you hear Christianity, you don't go, oh, free. No, you think restrictions. It's like, gosh, they're so tight and wadded up and, like, come on, right? It's like, loosen up a little bit. And so there's probably some truth that we need to as Christians to loosen up a little bit. Uh, But I want to help us understand that um, over the course of these next several weeks, that this uh, idea that freedom is to do whatever you want, whenever you want, is not really freedom, Right? That's kind of like what they call maybe even addiction. And I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that addiction isn't something that flourishes somebody. It actually puts them in slavery. So my desire is for you to, if you're not a Christian, as we work through this book, that you would better understand that it's only in relationship to Jesus that you experience true freedom. All right? But today, all right, that's kind of a setup for the whole book, so please come back, all right? Today, I want to just kind of answer two questions. It's more of like a, an intro sermon to the whole series. And, and sometimes an intro sermon can feel like 
an intro sermon, right? And so I, that wasn't very profound, but it kind of helps me a little bit, right, to know that, hey, this is just kind of setting up what we're going through. And so I want to answer two questions from this text that I feel like helps us a lot in this series. The first one is this. I want us to make sure we know who Paul is, all right? So I don't, I never want to make assumptions. Or here you go. Here's the assumption I want to make, that you don't know who Paul is. And I hope people are here right now that has no idea who Paul is. If we ever lose that as a church, then I don't want you to be your pastor anymore. You know what I'm saying? We want people here that do not know their Bible. I want people here who call the book of Job, Job. Amen? It's like, thank God you're here. All right, call it Job, call it whatever you want to. I'm glad you are here. And so I never want to assume that everybody in this room knows who Paul is. And I actually want to assume you don't. So I just want to spend a few minutes, just a few minutes, kind of make sure we all know who Paul is, all right? And then secondly, uh, I want to spend the remainder of our time just talking about, like, why is he so fired up? I mean, he's fired up, isn't he? And you'll see that. Hopefully you saw it in how I read the, the text that he is one angry guy. He's got his underwear in a wad. He does. And he needs to, right? He's pretty fired up. And so I want to talk a little bit about why is he fired up. That will hopefully touch on some of the issues that are going on in this book. And then I want to land the plane. I'll do this really quick. I promise. Uh, just kind of bring in a two kind of like um, applicational thoughts for us to think on in light of what we just learned from verses 1 through 10. All right? We cool with that? That's kind of the map. That's where we're going. So if you fall asleep, you'll know when you wake up, hey, he's in the middle, right? Because he's talking about why is Paul so angry. So um, here we go. So, <laughs> All right, two laughs. That was not good, but that's all right. Who is Paul? All right, so verse 1 and 2, we kind of hear Paul sort of introducing himself here. And so he says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So Paul, who is Paul? Well, Paul used to be named Saul, because Saul used to be a terrorist. I mean, literally, it's what he was. Like, he, he hated everything to do with Jesus. He hated anybody that called Jesus Lord, and he was a religious, uh, pharisaical individual who sought out to do away with the Jesus movement, you know, back in that day, right? He did what he could on his part to go and kill everyone who called themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. You can go to Acts chapter 9 and hear more about his story. That's why Paul is such a surprising character in the formation of the Christian church. He's the guy you never thought would get saved. It's like, there's no way Paul's getting saved, and he did. God showed up to him, Jesus showed up to him, and on his road to Damascus and radically changed his life. He became a new person, a brand new heart, uh, to where he went from being a Jesus hater and trying to destroy, destroy all of that to being a Jesus lover and being the proclaimer, the, the one who preached primarily to the Gentiles. And so if you read the book of Acts, kind of in the middle of Acts, there becomes this little division, not a bad division, like it's a good thing, where, where kind of Peter and his, his disciples, kind of Peter and a group of people, they kind of focus their ministry on sharing the gospel with Jewish people. And then Paul and his companions kind of like focus their ministry on, you know, sharing it with the Gentiles. That's kind of how God's raised up Paul. He has a primary ministry toward the Gentiles. Now, Paul says in verse 1 that he's an apostle. An apostle is basically means he's a sent out one. And so I would say Paul is an apostle in the sense of capital A apostle. We don't have these kind of apostles this day. Paul is one who saw the risen Jesus with his own 
very eyes and was commissioned by Jesus' words to go and share this message to the Gentile people. We don't have capital A, (laughs) kind of struggling here, capital A apostles, right, today because no one has seen Jesus with their physical eyes. We have little A apostles possibly where God's gifted individuals to be sent out with a message to a group of people. I, I agree with that, but not capital A apostles as we see here with Paul. So Paul's normal mode of operation as a church planner is this. He would go into a city like Galatia, and he would share the gospel, sometimes with individuals, with a group of people, sometimes at a synagogue, whatever it is, he would share the gospel. God would save a group of people. They would start a church. Paul would raise up leaders, and then he would go and leave and do it again in another city. That was his mode of operation. And then what he would do as he's planning churches in other cities is he would write letters to churches that he planted, encouraging them, maybe admonishing them, bringing something up that's going on in the community, that kind of stuff. And that's why we've got this letter to Galatia, the churches in Galatia. It's the very first letter that Paul writes. Now, the interesting thing, and I'm kind of be done with talking about who Paul is, It's interesting, after he says, I'm an apostle, he makes this little phrase here. Did you catch that? Not from men or by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, what's going on there? It seems like, you know, Paul's trying to kind of throw his authority around. Hey, I am Paul the apostle. You know, that's not what he's not trying to, like, you know, throw his authority around in a very unhealthy, lording kind of way. But what's going on in this church as we'll see here in a few minutes, is there are a group of false teachers that are trying to um, discount the messenger that would then discount his message. They're trying to show that, that Paul is a quack, he's out there, he just made this up in order to kind of make people not follow the message that he brought to them. And all Paul is trying to say here is this, look, my authority does not come from man, It doesn't come from a church council. It comes from Jesus himself. So the message that I'm sharing with you is a message that Jesus directly gave me. So then, therefore, you can't change this. You can't add to this. You cannot alter this. I have been commissioned and given divine authority by Jesus himself. This message is not a message I made up or come up with on my own. This is a message that was directly given to me by Jesus. That's why, like, I know some of you may be here, and I hope you hear this in a very kind, loving way. That's why when people say, like, I love what Jesus says in the Gospels, but I don't love what Paul says. Like, it doesn't work like that. Jesus is not schizophrenic. What Paul says is what Jesus said. Because what Paul is saying is what Jesus told him to say. He commissioned him with the authority to write the Bible, in essence. And so if we got a problem with what Paul is saying, we got a problem with what Jesus is saying. Because all Paul is saying is what Jesus told him to say. So that's why there seems to be this, like, you know, Paul kind of throwing down this authority card. He's not. He's just trying to help him see that, look, I didn't make this up. This isn't coming from me. This is coming directly from Jesus. It can't be changed It can't be altered. So, that's Paul in a nutshell. Read more about his story. Go to Acts chapter 9. Man, great story of how he he got changed. Secondly, why is Paul so angry? I mean, he is fired up. It's the angriest letter that Paul writes. I mean, if you've not read the 
the five chapters, I encourage you to do it. In this letter, eventually he gets to the place where he tells these teachers to go ahead and castrate yourself. Like, you know, don't just do circumcision. Cut it all off. That's what he's saying. I know it sounds really gross, and we've got some elementary age kids in here, and you can have a good conversation with your parents on the way home, finding out what castrate means. But that's what he says in this letter. Paul is fired up. He is really angry. So how do we know this, Lyle? How do you know that Paul is angry in this letter? Where are you getting this? Well, every writer has a pattern. I don't even say it like this. Every speaker has a pattern. I mean, I've got a pattern every single Sunday when I roll up in here. And if you've been here long, you know what my pattern is, right? What do I do? Hey, my name is Lyle, right? I'm one of, say it out loud. Yeah, there you go. I say it all the time. And then usually what happens is say, hey, we're in such and such passage. Find a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, where is it? Right? There. It's on the screen. Your bulletin, right? I know. You guys got it. And then usually I throw in a little pre-sermon announcement like we literally have in our communication grid. Lyle, this is what you need to say. Right? It's like, and I usually mess it up, but I try my best. Amen? So just follow the bulletin and the website's more true than I am. Moving on. But so that's my pattern. And so if I would get up here and break that pattern, right, you would know something's wrong. Lyle's got something heavy to say, something's going on in the church, he needs to kind of like speak into it, whatever. If you break the pattern, you know that something is wrong. Paul breaks the pattern here. And go home and read every one of his letters. This is how he starts. A greeting, a thanksgiving. Hey, I'm Paul. Greetings to you guys, my companions, to the church, whatever, you know what I'm saying? And then he always says, thank God for you. Greeting, thanksgiving. Greeting, thanksgiving. Greeting, thanksgiving. Galatians, hey, I'm Paul. I am shocked, right? That's what happens. Did you see that in verse 6? There's no thanksgiving. There's no gratitude. I'm amazed that you guys have drifted so quickly. I'm astonished that you guys have drifted away from the, the message of the gospel. I'm shocked. That's what he's doing here. So Paul is angry. He is fired up. And so what in the world is kind of going on here? Well, there's a, most commentators will call them these Judaizers that have entered into this young church, and this is what they're doing. I mean, that's why it's so dangerous. They're not denying Jesus. They're not coming in and saying that Jesus is not the Messiah. They're actually affirming that Jesus is the Messiah. But what they're saying is this. It's like, hey, yeah. And I'm translating. It's great that you prayed the sinner prayer, that you trusted in Jesus. Awesome. Super. But if you really want to be in the family of God, if you really want to be a Christian, it's not just Jesus. It's got to also be this. And they throw in circumcision. If you really want to be a part of the family of God, yes, trust Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. Oh, yeah, yeah. In addition, if you really want to be a part of the family of God, yes, yes, trust Jesus, but you also need to obey all the laws of Moses. So in essence, what they're saying is we can't have two different groups. We can't have Christians who are Gentiles and Christians who are Jews. If you want to be a part of the real family of God, yeah, say yes to Jesus, but you also must become a Jew. That's what they're saying. And Paul, he's fired up. He's got his underwear in a wad in a good way, right? So why? Why is he 
so upset here? There's two reasons, and we see them in this passage of Scripture. The first reason why he's so upset is because this church, these people, are about to lose Jesus. You add anything to the gospel, this message that says life with God is made available to you through the work of Jesus that can only be received by grace. If you say, trust Jesus and be baptized, if you say, trust Jesus and read your Bibles, if you say, trust Jesus and come to church, you're adding to the gospel and you lose Jesus. And look what he says here in verse 6. I'm amazed, I'm shocked, I'm astonished that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ. Notice what Paul does not say here. It's interesting. He does not say, I'm amazed that you're so quickly turning away from the gospel. Even though in the next few verses there in 6 through 9, he uses the word gospel, I think, five times. It's interesting that Paul doesn't say you're turning away from the gospel. You're actually turning away from him. So what he's saying is this. You're turning away from what the gospel gives you. And what the gospel gives you is it gives you access. It gives you relationship with the Father. That's what Jesus gives us. It's not just a transaction that happens in a legal courtroom. Some of us got this mindset that, that Christianity and the gospel is just this courtroom scene where, where God declares you not guilty because of the work of Jesus. And it is that. I'm not saying it's not. But I would argue it's primarily a picture of it as you get invited to the table. You're in a family now. And you are getting invited in this table to where God now is your father. And you're in relational communion with him. That's what the gospel gives us. Another picture of it is Luke chapter 15. The gospel has, gives you back into the family where the father's chasing after you. And grabs a hold of you and basically says, welcome home. Welcome home. It's not just this judicial transaction in a courtroom that feels very stale. It is that. But more importantly, it's like you're sitting around a table that you've been alienated from, and now all of a sudden you feel at home. You've got new brothers and sisters, and God now is your father. So listen to me. Listen to what Jesus, this is what Paul's saying. If you add anything to the gospel, if it's anything, Jesus plus whatever you want to put in there, which is what they're doing. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow all the laws. Then you lose Jesus, and if you lose Jesus, you lose communion with the Father, which is what you're created to do and what you're created for. This is not a light matter. This is huge. They are going to embrace a false gospel that then causes them to lose Jesus and lose communion with the Father. One writer, maybe this will help, I don't know. Hopefully it does. One writer kind of says it like this. Our spiritual problem is not only caused by failing to live in obedience to God, but also by relying on obedience to him. You follow that? So look, let's, this is all the writer is trying to say. Look, if, 
if my relationship with God is built upon my performance on how well I do in obeying God's law, keeping all the rules, if that's what it's built upon, then look, guys, look, I don't feel the freedom to get in the presence of God. That doesn't give me access. That doesn't empower me to get in there. It actually causes me to shrink back. Because, like, I don't know if you're like me or not, man. My performance is pretty stinky most of the time, right? I'm not killing it as a Christian. I mean, most of you in this room want to idealize me, like, Lyle's knocking it out of the ballpark 24-7 every day. No, I'm not! Ask my kids. And so if, if my relationship is built upon that performance, then look at me. Look, man, it's not going to be very good. I mean, you think about it from your own parental, like living in a home. How, how did it work well if you had a parent that withheld their love based upon your performance? Did that make you want to draw near to your mom or dad with freedom? That's what Paul is saying here. If, if my relationship with God is built upon someone else's performance, and that is Jesus, then it frees me. I have access. I don't have to come with this burden of guilt and shame and fear because all that's been dealt with because my relationship with God the Father is not based upon my performance. It's based upon his. When Jesus uttered his last words on the cross, he did not say, I got it started, you finish it up. And all of us in this room have gone to church all our life, would say, yeah, it's not what he said, but I wonder if you functionally live like that. That I gotta make it work. That's all up to me. No, when Jesus uttered his last words, he said, it is finished. We just sang it. Do you believe you're forever washed white? You hear that? Do you believe that? Do you live in that? You're forever washed white. Why? Why, Lyle? Because of Jesus. Not because of you. Because of what Christ has done on your behalf. Paul is fired up because he's concerned that these new believers are about to lose Jesus. Because they're wanting to add to the gospel their own works. And when you do that, it's no gospel at all. That's not good news. That's pretty stinky news. So that's one reason why he's so fired up. The second one, and this one, is a little harder to see. So you have to kind of bring in other texts to find it. But they're about to lose their freedom is what they're about to lose. So verse 6 says, I'm amazed you're quickly deserting from, from him. Keep on going. And this is what he says, are turning to a different gospel. That word different means kind of like, false, studio, not a real gospel. And then he kind of like, well, not verse 7, not that there is another gospel, because there's not, right? But there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That word distort can be translated actually to pervert the gospel. And, and what it means is this, it, is that it's going to uh, change uh, the thing into its very opposite. So you're getting ready to believe in a distorted gospel, and it's going to reverse everything. And so because the real true gospel, this, this message of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, is going to produce freedom. 
So if you believe in this distorted, perverted gospel, then it's going to do the very opposite of that. It's going to put you back into slavery. Now, Lau, where do you get this idea that the gospel brings about freedom? Well, that's where you got to go to some passages a little forward here in Galatians. And you go to Galatians chapter 5, we see that what Paul says in verse 13. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Talking about this calling when they come to faith in Jesus. This call of the gospel, you put your faith in that. It produces freedom. You go to verse 1 of that same chapter and you see this. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Chapter 4, verse 9. But now, since you know God, or rather you have become known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again. All Paul is saying here, when he says, you're getting ready to believe in a distorted gospel, if you believe in this gospel, it's going to reverse everything. You're going to go back into slavery and not into freedom. Back into this um, perpetual treadmill, right, that wears us out, this performance treadmill, man, I got to keep working hard, I got to keep, oh, I got to please God, I got that wears you out, it takes, doesn't take you anywhere. And, and in slavery to sin, the sense that we don't have the power to say no to it anymore. And so Paul's going, look, look, this is a big deal. If you add anything to Jesus, then you're not living into freedom, you're going back into slavery. The reason why he's so fired up is not only because they're going to lose Jesus, but they're actually going to lose their freedom. Now look, I realize that this is going to be a topic that we, um, we come back to over and over in this book, because it is what this book is about, like I said earlier. And here's what I do know about us, right, because I see it in my own life, is that freedom is not what we think. We really do think that freedom is to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. We really do think that freedom is when there's no restrictions and no one telling me what to do. Now, how do I know that? I think it's bent up in all of us from the beginning. Go to Genesis chapter 3. What's the fall, in essence, kind of about this, this time when Adam and Eve sinned against God? They wanted to be free. I want I want to do what I want to do. Don't tell me not to eat from one of these trees. I want to do that on my own. So real freedom is getting out of all these restrictions. Get off of me, right? It's in us. And then we've got a culture that is constantly discipling us this way. And we even see it in good little kids' movies that I love a lot, like Frozen, right? I do. I love this movie. It's fantastic. I can watch it a hundred times. Love the songs. But there's a wonderful little song in there that everybody's going to sing after I talk about it because it just kind of gets in your head. Let it go, right? Such a good song. Man, I love that song. But in the second verse, in the second verse, look what it says. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small, and I know you're already starting to sing it. And the fears that once controlled me can't get me to, at all. It's time to see what I can do to test limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I am free. Let it go. All right, that's, that's it. Right, that's how you go for it. But look, look, look. That's in essence what our culture is discipling us, and it's already at play in us. It's not that it's some kind of new thing. Oh, wow. No, it's here. And that's not freedom. And if you watch the movie, she's pretty miserable, right? 
Freedom is the ability to live as you were created to live. And that includes limits and restrictions. I mean, you've probably heard this illustration a million times. But it's a, it's, it's a good one. I mean, you, you get a fish out of water and you put them on land, right? Seems like they're no longer constricted. It's like, you got a lot of space, right? Don't have water and confined to the ocean. Go live free, right? It's like, it'll die. Why? Because a fish is created to live in the water. Look at me. You are not created to live as an autonomous, independent creature who calls all the shots and does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. That's miserable. That's not who you're created to be. And that is not freedom. Because that kind of life will not lead to flourishing. And if freedom does not lead to flourishing, then it's not freedom, it's slavery. I love what Augustine says. I think he was the one that was um, famous for saying this. Love God and do whatever you want. Which is kind of dangerous a little bit, right? It's like, oh, wow, but you gotta kind of keep it in its whole. Because if you're growing in your love for God, then what you're doing and want to do is what God wants you to do. You follow me? Like you're living within the boundaries and the restrictions that God has given to us. Once again, I'll dive more into this as we get into this book. But that's one of the reasons why Paul is so fired up and so angry. Not only are they about to lose Jesus, but they're also about to lose their freedom. Because you add anything to the gospel, you go back to slavery. So, with this in mind, uh, what do we kind of do with this? What are some things that I want to encourage us? Like just two that hopefully the Lord will awaken in us. Here's what... um, Here's what I do know, and this is kind of the hard thing about this sermon because it's kind of a, it's an intro and there's not, uh, it's sometimes hard to kind of like, okay, bring this into modern day life. Here's what I know, but there, we do like, in our group time, we'll do uh, men's and, and ladies' time at the end there where ladies get together and kind of talk about their week and pray for one another and men get together and talk about their week. Here's what I know, it's probably not going to happen in the men's group. No one's going to come and say, man, I'm really tempted to get circumcised again, right? It's like, that's not going to happen, right? Or no one's going to say, man, I've been really tempted to buy a lamb, raise it, and slaughter it so that I can, you know, have my sin sprayed. What are you saying? No one's like, okay, that one didn't work really, really well. But here's, here's, yes, we will not struggle exactly with what these people are struggling with. But in essence, there's something similar there for all of us. So the first thing I want us to be awakened to is our own hearts prone to wander. How quickly, how quickly, he says, you have strayed from him. Like all of us in this room are prone to wander. Specifically, I would say that all of us in this room have a bent a, and a propensity to, to add to the gospel, like we want to do something for our salvation. Like we've got to, like what do I need to do to be worthy of what God has given to us? Like there's, it's in us. It's like just so wrapped up in our DNA that we can't get away from it. And it's really subtle. It really is. That's sometimes a danger. It's hard to, to kind of see it. And so if you grew up in church, here's how I see it playing out a little bit, all right? 
it plays out like, hey, yeah, believe in Jesus and believe rightly and behave rightly. Yes, yes, there are doctrinal truths that we need to believe in and hold tight to. Yes, our lives need to be different. And Paul gets to that in Galatians, latter part of it, specifically in Galatians chapter. Yes, that is true. But what I have found, right, in churches, if you've been in church a long time, those kind of come in and now become the gospel. So yeah, believe in Jesus, but also, and you would never say this, but it's kind of there and it's at play. you got to behave rightly and believe rightly. And if you don't behave rightly and believe rightly, then you're out. And the gospel is trust Jesus. Period. That's it. Fill your need and trust Jesus. So that means, that means we should expect people in here that are not behaving rightly. Because they don't have to clean up their act before they come to Jesus. Right? Are you following me? So, so we should expect people in our midst who may not believe rightly. Because they don't have a doctrinal test before they become a Christian. Can you say the book of Job right? If you can't, you're not in. Right? No! And so my concern, look, look, my concern is that if we become a church that is full of people who behave and believe rightly, then maybe we've been guilty of distorting the gospel. Maybe, unintentionally, we're speaking a gospel that says, hey, yeah, trust Jesus, but also here are a few other things that need to be added to it. I think it's like what Tim Keller says in his little book on the prodigal son, he says, look, if your church is full of elder brothers, a bunch of self-righteous, moralistic people, and you don't have the younger brothers in there, then you may be preaching a false gospel. All of us are absolutely addicted to adding something to the work of Jesus. You know what part you played in your salvation? You did all the sinning. That's it. Great job, right? I'm serious. That's it. You did all the sinning. Jesus did it all. He did the rest. Someone asked you a question. Why are you a Christian? Please hear me. I know we got to nuance this a little bit. I'm just trying to open us up to something. If someone would ask you a question, say, why are you a Christian? And you would say this, because I was baptized, because I prayed a prayer, or because I follow Jesus, you may be distorting the gospel. Because you're not a Christian because you did anything. You're a Christian because God saved you. He chased after you. He pursued after you. Yes, you must respond. Yes, you must choose. But look, guys, look, I'm not, look, please hear me. I'm not trying to be the, the uh, verbal police here where I'm walking around. Oh, I caught you. You said the wrong thing. Not, I'm not seeing that. I'm just trying to show, show you how subtle it gets in there. That I think I'm a Christian because I follow Jesus. Or I think I'm a Christian because I prayed a prayer. Or I did this. Or No, it's not what you did. It was what God did for you. 
It's done. You're a Christian because God saved you. You are forever washed white, forever. So may God, through this series, awaken us to the reality that we are prone to wonder and try to add little things to the gospel. Secondly, and then I'm done real quickly here. And I don't know how to best say this. Uh, I try to wrestle with it even sitting down there as I'm singing and thinking about my sermon here. But here's the thing that convicted me about this passage is that it seems that Paul is getting angry about things that really matter. I get angry about things that really don't matter. And maybe you do too. You hear me say this all the time at Walmart. Walmart, go there, there's like 500 lanes, there's one open. I get angry about that. I was like, come on, hire some people, especially when the self-service line is like closed. Like, why is that closed? That's me. I go up there and do that. Like, keep it open. If you work at Walmart, I love you. But that's just stupid, right? Isn't that stupid? We get angry when people are driving slow in the fast lanes. Like, ah, right? We get angry and somebody, you know, we've been waiting for that spot. Got our blinker on in the parking lot. And then somebody whips in there. It's like, we don't pass by there and say, bless you. Lord, give you great favor. <laughs> Drive by there usually giving them something in our hand that's probably not very nice to do in the parking lot. But, dude, we, we do. We get mad about the silliest stuff. Even churches fight over the, the stupidest things that are more open-handed than closed-fisted. Who cares what translation we read from? Amen? It's a Bible, right? If we're going to read from the authorized original translation, then let's bust out the Hebrew and the Greek, and no one has a clue what we're reading, right? Even I don't. It's like, all right, well, we're going to go for it. Whatever, right? That's an open-handed issue. But people fight over it. What in the world? When is Jesus coming back? And when is all that eschatology going to happen? That's an open-handed issue. But, man, we fight over it. Choose sides. Does God choose or we choose? Oh, we got to fight over that. Oh, I'm just going, look, man. If I had to write a book, I don't have a clue what the content would be, but here's the title. Calm down. Like, calm down. But if there's one thing that I want us to be fired up about is the gospel. And it's purity. That we call people to Jesus. Period. That's it. We won't add, delete, whatever. No, we're calling people to Christ. And that, in essence, what I guess I'm trying to say is that, not that we're going around and trying to, like, yell at our neighbors or whatever. I just want us to have a burden, like Paul had a burden here for the gospel, that it would be out, that it would get out, that we would get fired up about this powerful message that people need to hear. Your neighbors are believing in a false gospel. Your co-workers are believing in a false gospel. Some of your family members are believing in a false gospel in the sense of this. There's some good news that they're living by that thinks they're going to get the good life. And Jesus is coming and going, no, this is the good life. You receive me. You follow me. You trust in me. That's the good life. That's the path to being really human. And I want us to be fired up about that. Not whether there's Four lanes or one lane at Walmart. Amen? And that God would burden us in such a way that we want to get this message out. And I love how 
And I'll end with this. I love how one pastor just sums up the gospel so beautiful. And it's just, this is why it's such a message we got to get out and have a burden for. When he says this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's the gospel. That's why it's good news. Let's pray.